Hello again, welcome back to Bear Books, the podcast hosted by yours truly, April Berry and Daisy Ray. We are all about appreciating indie authors. We have interviews and reviews, writing and reading new flash fiction stories, and best of all, getting authors noticed by their readers. So this week, we are reviewing The Weight of Rain by T.C. Emery's. Now, ordinarily, we would be reviewing a novel, but this week we're not. This book is a book of short stories. So we've picked a couple of our favourites out of it. I had another couple as well that I liked, and I do believe that Daisy did as well. However, our two favourites are The Beach at Rinsmore Point and the title story of the book, the weight of rain. Uh, now, I believe Daisy's got something to say about that, Daisy, haven't you? Oh, yes, I certainly have. The title story, The Weight of Rain, is of my beloved flash fiction length, so I'm going to read it to you. It's absolutely the best way for you to assess the story yourself and to know whether our reviews are fair or even if you agree with them. So if you're ready, this is The Weight of Rain. I have never noticed how trees weep when it rains before, but that day every tree in the cemetery shed tears of opalescent misery. Each bead felt like extra weight as they ran from the branches above and onto my head. The rain was temporary, the misery was not. By the time the coffin was being lowered into the ground, the sun was mocking me with its optimism. Cora was my mentor. I say that without any bitterness for the clichés that surround that term. The word is fitting for her. Her experience, her effortlessly wise advice and her wit in the face of harsh reality. The day I met Cora was punishing. After six hours at the office I waited 47 minutes in the most dismal and stinging rain for a train to arrive. The droplets were so cold that they hit my face like needles. The train finally arrived and I was given brief respite from the cold as it whisked me to my destination, London. London was and is my least favourite place to be, but I spent many hours there with Cora seeing the beauty of a metropolitan world through her eyes. I was late for the rock concert by the time my train pulled in and so I ran the entire way from Waterloo Station to the tiny theatre in Soho rummaging my bag for my presumably lost ticket as I crossed the bridge. I knew my boss would be furious if I missed this, and I was fully prepared to write anything in my review, even if fictitious, to avoid her ever finding out. I slipped in, brandishing my press ticket to eye-rolling attendance, as I found a seat right at the back, not wanting to draw the attention of the band by attempting to search for D14 an elusive number, no doubt positioned preposterously close to the potentially peeved musicians. My buttocks had barely been acquainted with the seat when a confident voice whispered to me, No one is ever late to a performance, darling, not even the band, who got here only moments before you. I turned and met the eyes of my comforter, bewildered and grateful in equal measure. I clocked my rumpled dress, sweaty armpits and no doubt unruly hair, and began to dread making a friend on such an abysmal day. She, however, Cora, as I'm sure you guessed, was flawless, audacious, bonkers. Her eyes were lit with an unextinguishable fire for life, and in that moment, that was my drug. It was exactly what I needed. They're drunk out of their minds. Look, 
she chortled, gesturing to the lead guitarist who was struggling with his own guitar neck, like a child learning to hold a pen for the first time. I quickly took out my notebook and scribbled down something amusing about drunken men and large members, which produced a genuine snort from Cora. A reporter? she asked, noting my press ticket as she nursed a pint of beer. Not a very good one, I whispered back, realising that whilst the band may have been oblivious to our conversation, some of the people seated in front of us were starting to turn their heads. As if a writer is able to judge their own merit, Cora said assertively. What does that mean? I hissed back, confusion and the frustration of the day combining to make more heat in my tone than I intended. Every writer thinks they are appalling, even if they say otherwise. She said this with a wry smile as if she knew more than she was saying, which I later learned she did. She knew all there was to know. We talked for hours, barely aware of the droning presence of the concept. She was instantly my best friend, but I ultimately knew that she was like this with everyone. She was the type of person to charm the devil, a natural smooth talker. Stood underneath the rain-weighted trees at her funeral years later, I felt her absence like a shackle around my ankle. I hadn't realised that the shackle was of my own making, and had existed for my entire life until I met her. It wasn't the droplets of rain that weighed me down, nor the slowly descending coffin, but my own triviality in a world where someone like Cora could and had existed. She said awful things to me, as any friend should be able to. She tore me down when I was arrogant, and she built me up when I was unsure. She didn't live to see me write my first novel, but the day I met her, I graduated from music critic to novelist, at least in my own mind. That's the power that worshipping someone grants, and now I must live with my grief and my own inadequacy. It's kind of my review of The Weight of Rain, and again, I've, I sometimes think I'm a little bit dim, because I was talking to Daisy earlier on, and I'm going, well, what's the name of the person? And she kind of had to point out to me that perhaps if you read the next story and thought about it, you'd realise her name was Henna. And I was just kind of thinking it was written in the first person. So thanks, Daisy, for that one. The theme of rain runs right the way through this, from the sort of rain on the train platform to the rain at the funeral. And, and it was just a, a, a real analogy. Well, the one I really, really liked was the analogy of the trees weeping when it rained, though actually thinking about it, that is fairly obvious because obviously the raindrops do run off the tree leaves and I suppose it does look like it. it is crying. I kind of got the assumption a little bit that Cora could be a little bit harsh, um, but she was friendly and possibly very, very supportive to the point where Henna felt herself very, very inadequate when Cora died and she was at Cora's funeral. And I did wonder if actually that had been implanted by Cora or did she feel inadequate? Because I didn't get the impression at the beginning of the story that she was inadequate or that she thought she was inadequate, although she didn't think she was a very good writer. I have got to say, I did like this story. It was really good. It was quite succinct. But for me to have to read the second one to find out who it was, that kind of was a little bit of a negative in my book. Okay. Mine is completely different. Without, as usual, we have completely different points of view. <laughs> First of all, the opening line, I have never noticed how trees weep when it rains before. So that's the perfect tone for an abject misery and mourning. 
I feel like Emery has took me on like a whirlwind journey in under three pages. We stood beside Henna in her misery at her friend's funeral and learned how they met, as well as what an immense influence on Henna's life Cora was. What makes me like this story so much, not despite the shortness, but because of it, was the way I automatically wanted to fill in their history and add the extra richness to it. I found it easy to invest my time and imagination into their friendship. Oh, and my favourite bit of alliteration I've read for a while now was the positioned preposterously close to the potentially peeved musicians that made me chuckle. I don't have any criticisms of this one and would give it my first five out of five. Ooh. And you're completely different. I am completely different, yes. But again, you know, we can't all be the same. And if this, if the same book appealed to everybody, there would only ever be one book out there. Well, yes, okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> that makes perfect sense when you put it like that. So that was The Weight of Rain, the title story from the book itself. A good story that gave my mind at least a bit of a workout into wandering through the relationship between Henna and Cora. So time to move on to the second story that we're reviewing from the book, which is The Beach at Rinsmore Point. And we're going to start that one with a reading from April. And this one certainly did get us talking. It invoked a lot of conversation. Just to give you a little bit of a backstory to the part of the book that I'm going to be reading out. Catherine and Natalie are a couple and they've got two children. They both work, though for whatever reason, and it's not really explained fully, Catherine takes the day off work. When Natalie returns home that evening, Catherine thinks that she's acting a little bit strange. Come night time, Catherine realises that Natalie hasn't retired and she actually hears noises. She gets up to go and investigate and it becomes apparent that the noises are coming from outside. So even though it's raining, Catherine goes to investigate. A sinking feeling grew in her as she realised where the noise was coming from. The shed at the top of the garden. She rounded the corner of the vegetable patch, the stone path coming to its end at another patch of grass. Catherine let the umbrella fall from her hand. The shed was down, the planks in bits on the floor, and Natalie was digging into the foundation with a shovel. Nat! Catherine called over the rain. What the fuck? Natalie turned around, surprise and guilt colouring her face in equal measure. Her bob was stuck to her ears and neck with the driving rain and there were brown and black smudges all over her cheeks and forehead. Her blazer was on the grass, sodden and crumpled and her pink pastel jumpsuit was clinging to her figure so tightly that it was almost see-through. She looked vulnerable, a state Catherine rarely saw her in. They looked at each other for a few drawn-out moments. What's going on and don't lie to me, Catherine finally said her voice steadier than she felt. Okay, Natalie said, pushing up on the shovel and climbing out of the dip she had dug, but I don't know where to start. She sounded strange. Catherine could see tears in Natalie's eyes. It hadn't been immediately obvious as the rain had been washing down her face, but Catherine could hear it in her voice and see the puffiness in her eyes. She had only seen Natalie cry a handful of times in their relationship, the first time had been their wedding day, the second was the day her mum died, both of the children's births, and finally at their friend Grace's funeral. 
Fear flooded her senses. Just tell me what you're doing. Catherine noticed the smell was stronger despite the rain. It was still subtle, but the putridity was enough to make her want to cover her nose. Just look, Natalie said, barely getting the words out amongst sobs. Natalie walked forward, leaned over to look into the foundation of the shed. Natalie had been filling the foundation in the previous weekend, Catherine presumed with concrete, but as she looked in, she only saw mud and gravel. She looked at Natalie in puzzlement. Natalie's eyes were wide with horror and Catherine looked again. Amongst the mud and growing puddles of water was a shape. It was long, two metres or so. As her eyes pieced together the scene, she saw it was something wrapped in blue tarpaulin. Her eyes drifted over the shape and Natalie's horror became her own. It was a human shape, a body. I did love the storyline on this one. It was compelling and Moorish, but then again, it's dead bodies. It wasn't written as well as the title story was. The first half was really just an overly long way to set the scene. And there were a few slight grammar and continuity mishaps. For example, the rain was both a steady, sad trickle and driving rain in one scene. And they arrived at the beach in the earliest hours of the morning, but they hoped onlookers wouldn't notice the body on their midnight boat trip in another. So there were one or two little continuity mishaps. The second half of the story, though, was where all the excitement was. A body under the shed, an unplanned murder, nosy neighbours, body disposal, female leads. I was in my element. All my favourite components to keep me turning those pages. And I did exactly that. One thing that I really do like about Emery's writing is the amount of detail included in her stories, both written and implied. I would give The Beach at Rinsmore Point a three out of five because it felt a little bit like the first draft got into the book in error. What did you think, April? It's really funny, actually, because the, the first part of your review was very much the way that I was thinking because I thought that, that it was a little bit rambly to start off with. There was lots of detail in there. So you, you were introduced to the neighbours. The neighbours was bothered about the smell that was coming under from the shed. Um, it was just like sort of normal everyday stuff. Catherine didn't want to go to work. She didn't feel very well. She rang a boss. She lied to a boss. Um, I think that a lot of people can relate to that. So it was very, very relatable initially. Um, it dealt with the fact that Catherine and Natalie are married. So obviously they're a gay couple. It dealt with some of their friends who couldn't handle that kind of thing. So I thought it was really, really realistic. It obviously brought into it ex-boyfriends that, that Natalie had had, <clears throat> which again <clears throat> is realistic, really. So I did I did like all that. I actually quite liked the fact that we did have a body in it because I quite like murder mysteries as well. Again, a little bit the same as you, Daisy, in, in some of the sort of continuity things that I picked up that didn't gel. I did like it. It was an easy story to read. However, like I said, there was a few continuity issues. I liked the characters. I liked the way that Catherine was portrayed when she discovered that her wife had murdered somebody. Because I don't really think that's how I would react if I discovered that my partner had killed somebody. I think I'd be a little bit more upset and a little bit more angry than, oh, right, then, well, let's just dispose of the body. So Catherine had got a really patient nature about her, if that's the word, accomplice. 
perhaps is maybe she was in shock maybe she that decision that she made in the spur of the moment wasn't really a decision maybe it just hadn't sunk in at that point so she just went with oh my god we've got to hide it and never talk about it ever again yeah what what i found really really quirky and and wanted to made me want to know a little bit more was they buried the body at Rinsmore Point, which was one of their favourite places to go. Yeah, wasn't that a strange thing to do? Because now they can never go again. Well, they can, but they're always going to think about this body and this blue tarpaulin that they'd chucked out to sea. Yeah. What I did find really quirky was Natalie when Natalie cut her hand and Catherine wrapped a sock round it. And don't, don't use that hand, don't use that hand to stop the blood getting in. That made her an accomplice to that murder. It also implied that Catherine thinks the body is going to get found at some point in the future and she didn't want Natalie's DNA in there. Yes, but it makes her an accomplice to that murder. It does, yeah. That's what she actually ought to have done. We rung the police and said, my wife's killed somebody and buried them under the shed. Don't think that would have been a good story, though, really, would it? Would you have done that? Do you know, I don't know. That is a real moral dilemma, isn't it? I think it's really easy to be glib about a story that you're not involved in that won't impact your life in any way, shape or form. And I think how we think we would react and being all moralistic and ethical is not really how we would react were we in that situation ourselves. I think we would potentially do the wrong thing. They've all got this underlying realism inside them. Funny how people find different things in different stories. I really liked Sunflower. Okay which was the first one about the young lady that had an invisible disability, as it were, and how other people don't understand it and how she feels like her life just can't be normal and she won't meet anybody and she won't be happy and she doesn't want to do anything and she's hiding at home until her gran coaxes her out and she does meet a new friend and who knows where that might lead. But the underlying thing about stories are this is stuff that is relatable, Everything is relatable to somebody. It's real people. It's not like extreme fiction. It's not fantasy. It's not unobtainable. It's things that people, you know, people lead mundane married lives. People have invisible illnesses. People go to family Christmas dinners like in parsnips and arguments happen. It's just, it's a big dose of realism in a really interesting book. I I thought it was as well. And I I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. There was no fantasy. There was no. Sub, there was nothing in there that couldn't be a reality or isn't a reality. Yeah, yeah. It is, and a- I think in Catherine's situation, a lot of us might do the wrong thing and help Natalie get rid of the evidence for fear of blowing up your the entire rest of your life. Because let's face it, had she reported Natalie, then you would have court cases and prison sentences and the impact on the children. And the grandparents who had enough trouble accepting the little family as it stands anyway, they had to fight for acceptance just to be a family. And she just, she didn't want to throw all that away. And she'd rather like have hide a murder in her life than give up everything she'd fought so hard for. Yeah, but the other flip side of the coin there is, and here we go, because I'm I'm always, you know, like rational and logical. Eventually, if it, if it is discovered, initially it would just have been Natalie that would be going to prison. If it Not is, now, though. It'll now be both of them. So at least if she'd have done the right thing, the children would still have one parent. Yeah, they want to hope they don't get caught then, don't they? And the other thing is, just because the Joneses next door don't have any lights on does not mean they weren't watching. They were taking a big risk there too. Because yeah. she is your 
original nosy neighbour, Mrs Jones. Sarah pointed out the putrid stench from the, the shed anyway to uh, to Natalie. Sorry and to I'm that. sure if you heard your neighbours digging stuff up, because you can't dismantle a shed in the middle of the night without making a racket. And if you want to watch the neighbours in the middle of the night, the last thing you're going to do is put the light on. You need the light off to be able to see. Here we are, in analysing and going off at a tangent and rewriting a completely different story. <laughs> and then we can't help ourselves, can we? Anyway, talking about writing stories, what uh, what have we got coming up next week? Next week, we have got another flash fiction story coming up. We have a writing prompt, Don't Be Embarrassed, It's Normal. I haven't actually written anything for that yet. I don't know if you have or not. I haven't, no. Can't you tell it's coming spring? I do love the birds tweeting outside your window. They're lovely. They do sound nice. I don't know if you can pick them up. I'm just going to shut up for a second, see if you can hear them. I can hear them. I don't know if you can, but they're yes, lovely. I can hear them. They are, they are really, really nice. Right, and on that happy note, after dead bodies and sheds and things like that, uh, we will see you next week. Uh, take care, everybody. Stay safe. Bye, all. If you've read a book by an indie author that you've really enjoyed, email the title across to us at contactus at barebooks.co.uk. And if we read it, we will discuss it on the podcast. Excellent. If you happen to be an indie author and would like us to add your book to our reading list, maybe even come and talk about it on the podcast, send your suggestions to submissions at barebooks.co.uk. And if you fancy a go at writing flash fiction and want the chance to be published in our flash fiction anthology for 2021, pop onto our social media for the full list of writing prompts for this season and also the word count at Bear Books Podcast on Facebook and Instagram or at Bear Books Pod 1 on Twitter. Thanks to Simon Strong for the musical interludes. You can Instagram him at dadnap.mp3. Stay safe until next time. Thank you.